This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 699 with Britt Frank. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 699. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Britt Frank is a licensed psychotherapist, trauma specialist, and author of The Science of Stuck. She holds a BA from Duke University and an MSW from the University of Kansas, where she later became an award-winning adjunct instructor. Britt is a somatic experiencing practitioner and level three trained in internal family systems. I was introduced to Britt via a past Shameless Mom Academy guest, Andrea Owen. Shout out to Andrea. Andrea suspected that Britt and I would maybe hit it off. And holy cow, she was so spot on. I could have talked to Britt forever. I am obsessed with her work. I immediately after this conversation, like literally the second I stopped recording, went over and got her book, which has been life-changing, mind-altering, and such a huge gift. Britt's work involves all the mental health stuff that I love to geek geek out on, and we dig into a lot in this episode around trauma and dysfunction and dysregulation, which I think so many of you are going to find interesting. I also think that you're going to be as fascinated as I was by not just this conversation, but also the science of stuck, everything that Britt talks about in her book, which is this brilliant compilation of stories, science, and strategies to help you heal your mind. 
Oh my gosh, Brit and her work are just a gift in so many ways. So listen in to hear Brit share how her quote unquote normal upbringing made her dismiss her childhood trauma, how dysfunction and function can coexist in our lives for years, if not decades, and the cost to our lives over time. How dissociating into academics became Brit's coping mechanism and why dissociation into high achievement is common for trauma survivors. The necessity of suffering in order to process grief and trauma and get to a place of peace and joy. Why celebrating tiny wins is a powerful brain hack that positively impacts our nervous system. The impact of global trauma over the last few years, including why our trauma responses might be coming down the road and could show up as PTSD if we aren't aware of the trauma that we have endured. Why trauma is inevitable and PTSD is preventable. How to set up our children to process their inevitable trauma. And the number one thing that parents can do to support your children's mental health. So this sounds like a lot. It is a lot. It's a deep dive, but it's also, oh my gosh, Brit has so many great coping mechanisms and tools that while this is all really heavy and is definitely going to give you the opportunity and create an invitation for you to take a really critical look at your own mental health, Brit creates so much opportunity for you to engage with new tools and new ways of using your brain and trusting your brain to make things different for yourself moving forward and to really positively impact your mental health moving forward. So with all of that said, oh my goodness, please join me in welcoming Britt Frank to the Shameless Mom Academy. Britt, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I have to give a shout out to Andrea Owen who connected us and like I said, before we started to record, I already know this is going to be an incredible conversation because Andrea only knows incredible people. So hey, <laughs> no pressure, <laughs> no pressure at all. Right. This is going to be fantastic. So tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Oh, I love that. So my shiny professional forward facing answer is I'm a trauma specialist and I'm a psychotherapist in private practice. And my first book just came out in March. It's called the science of stuck. And all of that Mm. is nice and shiny and well and good. But the icky stuff that sort of led to that is childhood trauma and addiction and relational craziness and just a lot of dysfunction, hot mess of a human kind of stuff. Mm. And eventually I got better, figured some stuff out, made a midlife pivot. And here we are. So I had so much fun looking up some of your resources, including your book, The Science of Stuck, right? Yeah. Looking up the book and I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much of this that's relatable. And that, so I know, I know we're going to have a lot to dig in here today. (laughs) And I'm also really excited to talk about just kind of the state of where we're at right now, because Mm -hmm. when we talk about trauma and being stuck, I think there's a lot that we're not addressing about the last two years. So we'll dig into that in a little bit. Sweet. Can you, you referenced your background and your own personal journey in like one sentence, and I'm going to invite you to expand upon that because I know it's been really influential in your work. So can you talk about how your personal journey really brought you into the work you do today? Sure. And, you know, it's interesting. That's a good word. When you have what looks like a normal family, it's very easy to fall into the, I don't have trauma camp. And I would have sworn up and down. I don't have trauma. Like, yeah, there was childhood sexual abuse, but it wasn't like the really, really quote bad kind, whatever that Mm. means. Right. And well, yeah, there was dysfunction, but it's not like I was ever beats. It's not like I was ever without a home or without food. And I think for people who don't know what trauma 
is that if you don't fall into those very extreme, easy to identify camps, it's easy to no, it wasn't that bad. You know, every family does this stuff. It's like, yeah, every family may do this stuff, but that does not make it normal or healthy or optimal. So I really struggled with what's wrong with me. My family looks normal. Nevertheless, from very early on, major depression, anxiety, panic, can't really figure out how to do friendships, couldn't figure out relationships, everything. You know, I, school was always easy for me. I went to Duke and I managed the academic thing. Fortunately, I was able to dissociate into the academic world and that, that worked. So like I did this concurrent thing of forward facing functionality while being a disaster of a hot mess. You know, I felt like a little toddler inside of a human grown body for a long time. And I think a lot of people feel that way. I think a lot of women feel that. I mean, men too. I see both in my practice, but it's the, I'm capable and functional and doing great things. Nevertheless, I feel like a scared toddler who's about to fall apart and die most of the time. Oh my gosh. The dichotomy or the juxtaposition of those two Mm -hmm. things I know is relatable to so many people. And you just, you labeled it in such a clear way dissociating into high achievement and as an external marker while being just young toddler fragile on the inside and having those two things coexist and what that requires to carry that over the course of years, decades, a lifetime. Of course, you're going to have a lot of anxiety and a lot of... (laughs) It's a thing. And a lot of people who don't really believe that that's a thing, you know, like surely if you were that functional, you couldn't have been that messed up. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, I lived it. So I know it. And I have a full private practice full of very high functioning people, high achieving people who are all going through the same thing. So yes, dysfunction and function can coexist for a long time and it's exhausting. Yeah. That's such a great point. So I want to I'm going to go back and you talked about like having a quote unquote normal upbringing and how easy it is when things look a certain way from the outside to really dismiss the stuff that's happening on the behind closed doors or to normalize it. And when it's your own experience, it feels normal because it's like, that's all, you know, is the dysfunction. The dysfunction Mm -hmm. is normal to you. So we, I went through my parents getting divorced when I was four and a half and it was like an amicable divorce. There was no like yelling, screaming. There was no custody battle. It was just like, it kind of just happened and then it was over. And there was not really any processing because everyone got divorced in 1982 and didn't talk about it. It was a super normal thing. So I grew up like, yeah, that was like a thing that happened, but it didn't mean anything because there wasn't fighting. There wasn't a custody battle. We didn't go to court. My parents weren't screaming. Like none of that happened. And so it's been in my forties that I recognize like, but that doesn't mean it wasn't trauma. And that's been very eye-opening. And when you just talked about dissociating into academics, I was like, oh my God, I was such an <laughs> academic dissociate <laughs> because it's such a great, it's not an easy way to prove yourself, but there's like a clear path to proving yourself. It's linear. It's checking boxes. There's like certainty and predictability. There's control. Oh, Can you talk a little bit more about that piece that dissociating into things that look really functional when you are coming from a place of dysfunction? Sure. It's so yummy, right? The academic path. It's like you get at a girls and you get badges and prizes and trophies. And it it is very much, it's everything that you don't get when you're in a traumatic environment, predictability and consistency Mm. and something that feels like, I know if I do X, I'm going to get Y. Now, the other thing that will do that besides dissociating into socially acceptable things like workaholism is drug addiction. And Mm. the other thing that I tried... 
that was interesting was cult life. I really, you know, downshifted from one system into a different one. I'm like, I'm going to join a fundamentalist cult because that seems like a great way to have do this, think that, believe this, and then you're good. And it was very appealing to be told if you do this, read this, dress like this, chant like this, then we're going to love you and you're going to be good. And so I really do get the appeal of the, you know, the workaholic, the high functioning person with anxiety, you know, cult life and drug addiction are not as healthy or optimal, but like, or not as socially acceptable, I should say, but it makes sense. Consistency and predictability. That's my love language. You know, I've told Mm -hmm. my husband, I'm like, forget flowers and candy. I'm like, do what you say you're going to do and follow through and be the same person tomorrow that you are today. And I am swooning and smitten. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting. Is that a common for people who've gone through trauma? Is that need for predictability and consistency? Is that like across the board, something that people need? I think so. And then seek. Yes. It shows up differently. So some people it's perfectionism and I'm going to be the perfect mom and the perfect community member and the perfect board member and the perfect man, whatever. So the perfection, the people pleasing, what that inherently is, is you're searching for security, you know, stability. You know, if I'm a perfectionist and I'm perfect, then I'm guaranteed everything will be okay. Now that's not true, but we seek the stable and we seek the consistent because that's what we didn't get as kids. And it just manifests in all kinds of manners of craziness. Yeah. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is 
around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. There's a relationship that in my life where it's unpredictable and the other person's responses to things can be unpredictable and their consistency in terms of like how they show up as in their role in my life can be unpredictable. And it is so stressful to me. And I was talking to my husband about it the other day. And I was like, I think this is stressful to me because it is so parallel to what happened with my dad at certain times. And so I think it's like, I feel like I should be able to blow it off and be like, whatever, like they're busy, no big deal. If they didn't reply to something or like, just whatever the thing is, like let people, there are so many people that I can give so much grace to, especially in certain capacities in my life. But in this one, it's been really challenging. And I was like, I think it's because I, it's too close. It's like, it's too, it's mirroring what happened with my dad too closely. And so I am like going into this like little girl response that, so I have like these weird reactions to things. And I know I'm having a weird reaction. I'm like, okay, like most people would just blow this off and dismiss it, but I'm like freaking out. (laughs) And I think it's because of that parallel of like recognizing this is something that it's unpredictable, uncontrollable, and not consistent. And that just makes my brain go haywire. I love that you named that in a friendship because as adults, we're really not taught that friendships can look a lot different than our primary intimate relationships. You know, as kids, it's like we have best friends and everyone we tell everything to, and we're together all the time as adults. It's okay to have chaotic friends as long, you know, I have some chaotic friends, but Mm. I have a very narrow parameter of Mm. how I sort of appropriate them. They're party friends, not drug party friends. Like if I see them at events, they're really fun to hang out with and they're really fun to social socialize with. They are not people that I'm going to confide my deepest fears or be vulnerable with or seek support from. And we're not taught as adults. We can have all different kinds of friends. As long as we're conscious and mindful, flaky friends who are inconsistent and chaotic can be fun as long as we know where they fit and whether or not we're willing to tolerate their particular flavor of inconsistency. For some people we will, and for others we won't, but it was so freeing as an adult to know my friends don't all have to be ride or die level 10 in the trenches types of people. It makes it much more fun to have a variety pack. Yeah. That's interesting because I think I've collected the friends that are so consistent and stable over the years. And those are the people who've been in my life, you know, since college or high school, even then when you start to make those comparisons and you're like, well, this other person isn't measuring up. It's just having to recognize an honor that like, yeah, this is a totally different person. It's a totally different relationship. And so how do you want to navigate it differently? If you do want to have a relationship with this person, like how can you see the boundaries in a different way. And I love the example. I just love everything you just said about like, it fits into this box, not that box. And then 
there can be peace around that and clarity. Exactly. And we're allowed to do that. You know, I have hiking friends. They're really fun to hike with. They would not be, let's go get coffee and talk about the things people. And that's totally fine. Totally. Oh my gosh. So helpful. I want to talk about, we've talked about high achievers and I tend to attract a lot of type A high achiever kind of people. Can you talk a bit about, we've talked about the dysfunction and what that looks like, the dissociating into academics, into workaholism, or maybe into addiction of other kinds that are, can be I was going to say that can be so much more damaging, but workaholism can be really damaging too. Can you talk about some, what's the flip side of that? When you've actually done some work, what does it look like to move past those dysfunctional patterns? Well, the reward for doing the work of getting past the patterns is well worth doing because on this side of that particular jump, you have freedom and you can relax when you want to relax and you can rest. You know, you can digest mm-hmm. your food. A lot of people who are high functioning have irritable bowel and have chronic migraines and things like that. And so your body just generally works better. However, there is a big jump from I'm over functioning to <laughs> I've worked it out. And yes. in that gap is all of our pain and all of the grief and all of the feelings that we've denied. So I tell people it'll be so two things are guaranteed. If you want to do any type of inner work at all or change one, it's going to be awful. Like let's not put rainbows and sprinkles on top of the process. It's so uncomfortable. It's awful. And two, it's worth it. So if we can Mm. prep ourselves for the inevitability of suffering temporarily, and then I can breathe. I don't remember when it happened. But I remember looking around my house one day being like, oh my gosh, like I can breathe today. It's very strange not to feel like an elephant is sitting on top of my head all day, every day with all of that anxiety stuff happening in my body. It's so worth it to do this work. That's, I appreciate that so much because I think that it's not just like read a self-help book and then you're good. It's not a one-step thing. It's like, it's a process. It's uncomfortable. I get really mad. So my friend and I go to the same therapist. I referred my good friend. <laughs> we always <laughs> joke about like the things that we do to be avoidant in therapy. And so I'm like, my big thing is like, I'll wait until the last five minutes of a call of a session to like bring up like the actual thing that I should have been talking about the whole time. Cause I'm like, oh, I don't want to really dig into this. So I'll just like casually mention it at the end and then like check the box. Like I did some work today. Um, <laughs> the other thing is that like my therapist will give me prompt or a suggested activity and I am just immediately like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and I dismiss it as like, that's just silly and stupid. And just like, no, thank you. You actually don't know me. <laughs> and then I have to check myself later and be like, oh, maybe she was right. And then I'm like mad at her and I'm mad at me. But on the other side of that, and I make, I bargain with her constantly. My favorite bargain was that she told me I needed to have like more still time in my life. So She's like every morning for like 30 minutes, just have like a stillness and drink your coffee and stillness. And I was like, hell no, but I'll give you two minutes. So I do like two minutes of stillness. And I will say I've gotten a lot of magic out of my two minutes, but I haven't gotten to the point where I'm willing to concede and give 30 minutes. I get up early and I do a bunch of things in the morning. I'm like, not opposed to that, but like stillness. No, thank you. Because stillness is scary. And as a therapist, I will give out the assignments all day long, but I also see a therapist and as a client, I'm with you. It's like, let me do all of the, you know, avoidant dancing that I can possibly do. And my therapist has my number. Like he has me Mm. clock 
locked. Mm. He's like, okay, Brett. He's like, how mad at me are your parts right now? I'm like, very, we do not like you right now at all, Bob. <laughs> we don't like you. We get that this is probably accurate and helpful and healthy, but and then I hiss like a cat, but it's, you know, having the awareness of, I'm not going to do the 30 minutes, but I'm going to hit two and celebrating that we're so quick as high functioning, high achieving mm-hmm. type a people pleasing perfectionists to invalidate and minimize those two minute wins. Because yeah. once you celebrate the magic of that two minute win, you're going to get to three and then that's going to compound and you're going to get to six. And then before you know it, you're going to go to an eight hour silent retreat. Hell, if I would do that, but you know, if that's oh your job, I just it. like stopped breathing. <laughs> because I know people who've done that and hell no, <laughs> not my goal. That's not a goal I have, but celebrate those little wins. And I tell people I can get out a whiteboard and give you a science-based explanation for why celebrating is a powerful brain hack that will shift your physiology. So it's not just about slugging through and hustling and grinding. It's also about celebrating when you get a win of any size at all. Oh my gosh. I'm like frantically typing this into my notes because <laughs> This is something that I talk to people about all the time. And I feel like it elicits an eye roll. It's like saying takes 30 minutes of stillness when you're like celebrate every win, no matter how big and being a parent and an entrepreneur living in a pandemic, all these little things I have had to force myself into celebrating really small wins. And this happened at a certain point in the pandemic. One day I was so, it was like a series of things that didn't work out for me that felt overwhelming and not being able to see a lot on the horizon in terms of what might work out for me. I made myself sit down and I'm someone who like at the end of the week can be like, here's my wins for the week and tally them up really quickly. But I was like, you're going to sit down on a Wednesday and be like, here's 10 things that are working for you right now. And I started writing them. And of course, by the time I got started, got to like number three, I was like, there's actually like a lot of things working. Damn it. (laughs) There's like a lot of things that actually, so I've had to use this on myself. And I actually, for the rest of that week. And then for a while after that, I was like, I'm just going to every morning be like, here's a few wins to just keep the momentum so that I could actually show up and be functional and focus on where I had power, where there was hope, like where are the cracks in the darkness? And it made such a big difference. And so I think when sometimes when like we take our own advice on this stuff, when we're in this as a profession, all of a sudden we're like, damn it, it does work. And then we need to really reflect that back to people, back to our clients, because it does work and it changes how we show up. And if I can look at a sheet of paper in the morning and be like, here's three things that I, that are already working for me today then when the world inevitably crashes down and the Supreme court does something else that makes me mad and I get a text from whatever, like all of a sudden I'm like, but I still got these three things working for me today. And I say, take that and amp it up to a level 2000. Don't just write them down. Like at my, my husband's like was a Naval officer. So like Mm. when I door dash donuts, because I'm so excited that I got my laundry from the machine to the dryer, to my room, to the drawers, (laughs) in the same day. And I'm like, yes, I did it. I'm getting DoorDash donuts and I am celebrating with like tangible things. Or if you're ordering from Amazon anyway, fill out the gift message that says, go you way to kill it on Wednesday. There are simple ways. And again, especially with the men I work with who are eye roll really Brit, you know, your brain responds to sensory inputs. When you celebrate you're eating or singing or dancing or yelling or jumping, all of those things tell your nervous system, you are safe. You are not being attacked. What does that do? A nervous system that feels safe can be more productive, can be more functional. So celebrating will actually downregulate your central nervous system, which is why I 
unapologetically and shamelessly DoorDash my donuts when I finish my laundry in one oh day. My God. <laughs> I, I want everyone to start doing this. Everybody to start door dashing donuts when you finish your laundry or whatever. Maybe when, after you do the dinner dishes, maybe you unloaded the dishwasher, you changed a diaper, like whatever the thing is. Right. Right. And I've been told, well, isn't that just like table stakes? Isn't that just what you should do as a functional adult? Like, yeah, there's a lot of things you should do as a functional adult. There's a lot of things that should have happened to me as a child that didn't. And a lot of things that shouldn't happen that do. It doesn't matter. The point is celebrating is a nervous system down regulator. And that's your science-based justification for have a five minute dance party every single day. And if you have kids, the five minute dance party is just as good for your children as it is for your own nervous system. Totally. Totally. We went through a phase in the pandemic where every night after dinner, we were doing dance parties to REM's end of the world as we know it. (laughs) And with the goal of like memorizing the lyrics as it was so much fun. Highly recommend that as a celebration. (laughs) And it's not toxic positivity. And I get where people are like, well, are you just sticking your head in the sand and ignoring the reality of what's happening in the world and the political situation and the Ukraine is like, no, of course not. But you can only ingest so much bad news before you collapse. And then you are no use to yourself, to your family, to your community, let alone the world. So it's like, it's not ignore the world. It's, you know, you want to offset the ingestion of crazy, awful, bad with the truth of, okay, this is bad, but over here it's less bad. And over here it's working pretty good. It's not about being positive or negative. It's about what's true. There are lots of things that are true at the same time. Absolutely. And it's really about like how to stay functional in order to have purpose in order to have power. When you open up anything online on any given day and you feel like my purpose doesn't matter and I don't have any power because the things that are happening are on such big scales and they feel so out of control. And this is really tough because I'm a very empathic person and I know a lot of empathic people. You can't physiologically care about every single thing that Mm -hmm. is going wrong in the world at the same, like our brains are not organized. They're not designed. They are not wired to be able to ingest and feel the reality of every jacked up situation that's happening on the planet at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're going to have to pick which things you invest in. You're going to have to pick which things to care about. And that feels cold. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, are you telling me I shouldn't care about what happening over in X area. I'm like, no, I'm telling you, there's only so much you have the bandwidth to do. Right. You're going to have to make some choices. And hopefully if we're all doing that, everything would get covered. And of course that doesn't happen, but not only do you not have to feel guilty for not ingesting all of the media and doing all of the things, it's knowing that you're not designed to have all this information. It's supposed to be, we can only care about and show up for a finite number of things with our finite amount of energy, no guilt. No shame. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do you think the last two and a half years have impacted mental health? (laughs) (laughs) I know we only, we don't have, you know, 18 hours to talk about this. time you got, well, I know that my practice is full, but I'll say, you know, I've heard it said that the pandemic created a mental health, you know, crisis. Mm -hmm. And I really challenge that. Like, yes, of course the pandemic created brand new crises that are unprecedented, but I really think the pandemic just highlighted what's been happening the whole time. It's just because we're so busy, we've mistaken busyness for connection. And when you took away our busyness, we all got depressed and anxious. It's like, well, of course it's all been there. All of this stuff has been there from the get-go. So I don't think it created it. I think it amplified it. Absolutely. One of the things I've been talking with people about and I was going to say the end of the last couple of years, we're not really ending anything, but we are at this in the season where things have shifted a little bit 
from pandemic to endemic. And one of the things I think that we haven't really grounded ourselves in is that no matter to what extent, I think that everyone has experienced some sort of trauma in the last couple of years because of the chronic stress, whether it is that you've actually lost loved ones, whether you've lost a job, whether you've lost a home, whether you've had food insecurity, or you have just been worrying about loved ones or your children or your own health, or like, there's just so many layers. And so can you talk a bit about where you think, I would love to know if you think this is under addressed. Cause I think it is under addressed. <laughs> I think that we're not acknowledging that like the whole globe has been traumatized. And then also what do you think that's going to look like? Or what do you think the ramifications will be in the coming years? It's such a good question. And I feel like I need to put a disclaimer. I don't think the pandemic created a mental health crisis for adults. I do think the pandemic created a mental health crisis for children. Certainly. Mm -hmm. Like, absolutely. I think we're talking about trauma more than I've seen us talk about trauma in the last 10 years and still not enough. I mean, if you didn't identify as a a trauma survivor prior to the pandemic, you certainly qualify now. And I hear from people every day, I shouldn't be traumatized. I had enough food. I was fortunate that I had a home, that I had a job. I'm like, be that as it may, there's still this inescapable global threat that you don't know when it's coming. You don't know if it's going to hit us and you don't know how the impact's going to be. And that's the very definition of trauma. Yes. So we're still sort of in it. So I don't know if we're really going to start seeing the effects until maybe the next year or so. I think it'll be 2023, 24, where all of a sudden people are having nightmares and they're going, everything's fine now. Why am I falling apart? Because generally when things are safe is when we have the luxury of falling apart. And so during a crisis, many of us can sort of just grind through, you know, you hear the stories of the mom who lifted the car off the child and you summon strength you never knew you had in the midst of a crisis. But once the crisis is gone, that's when it's like, holy crap, what just happened? So I think knowing about trauma now will help prevent PTSD later. Oh my gosh. Okay. Thank you for saying that. I think that's so important. So when we talk about trauma, we are talking about this, like the chronic stress, the chronic uncertainty, the chronic instability and unpredictability. And then you just mentioned that understanding that you've been through something traumatic or that you're maybe still in something traumatic can be really helpful having that um, sense of, of identification. And then also be preventative for PTSD down the road. Can you talk about that piece? Because I think that that's another thing that, so I was diagnosed with PTSD a year and a half ago. And again, I was like, no, <laughs> it's like, uh, and like, this is circling exact, right. What we talked about at the beginning where you're like, yeah, but compared to other people, like, come on. And so it's really interesting knowing a little bit more about PTSD now, um, that it's not just about like surviving a brutal attack one time. It can be about a lot of other things. So can you dig into that a little bit more? Yeah. And same thing when I got diagnosed with PTSD, I was like, no, I was never in a war. I was never, you know, at the time I was never assaulted. I have never been in a natural disaster, but you know, trauma is anything that's too much, too fast or too soon, you know, and you can actually go through a whole, you know, trauma doesn't just mean something bad happened. Trauma means something happened. Likely it was bad and the experience has not been metabolized. So I call it brain indigestion because I don't like all the Mm -hmm. academic jargon. You know, when you digest your food, the food processes through and you, you know, discharge it in the form of, you know, 
pee and poo ideally. Mm -hmm. And when you metabolize your food, your body works really well. If you're not metabolizing your food and you're not digesting it, you're going to have a stomach ache. So you can ingest a bad experience, but if you have community and connection and validation and support and resources and supportive you know, people around you, that experience is going to be able to process through your body. Trauma isn't just what happens. It's, are we able to digest and metabolize it? Mm -hmm. That's why for parents who come to me, I was trained as a play therapist early in my career. And they're like, I'm so worried. I'm going to traumatize my kid. I'm like, you don't have to be worried about that. That's a guaranteed. Cause like, that's just life, but they don't, that doesn't mean they're going to have PTSD. PTSD mm -hmm. can be prevented with information, access to resources and supportive people, you know, we heal in community. And they found that actually some communities that have been through huge traumas, like natural disasters, if the community has a high you know, value on social supports, they don't get the same type of PTSD as people who are in isolated, disconnected communities. It's really fascinating. So PTSD trauma is inevitable, but PTSD doesn't have to be something that we're all just stuck living through. Oh my goodness. I feel like this is so validating that trauma is inevitable. So then we can all own that. Like we are trauma survivors. That doesn't mean it isn't on different levels because it, right. it can be, but that doesn't invalidate that just because my experience compared to yours, like we don't need to rate it. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. just that, like we both endured it. And so while trauma is inevitable, PTSD is preventable if we have access to resources. And I think that piece is what we don't is what we don't know. And I think that's the fear. And, and specifically when you talk about parents that whether we think we're going to traumatize our children on our own, or we think that they will go through a traumatic situation because we've given them some freedom or, I mean, so I have one child who's almost 10 and I think about in a week, I'm taking him down to my sister-in-law's. He's going to be with at her house um, without me for the first time in his life for a handful of days. And I know she's going to take excellent care of him, but of course, because <laughs> it's not going to be under my supervision. I'm like, what if something happens? And so I don't know that trauma is inevitable in that situation, but this idea that like, there's going to be things that happen when he's not in my care and that I can't, where I can't control the whatever. And what if I trusted myself enough as a parent to recognize when things happen that I can't control when he's out of my supervision. And as he gets older, which is going to happen only on an increasing level, what if I could own the fact that I'm a really resourceful parent, I'm really dialed in, I'm really conscientious. I know I can get him the support that he needs, the help that he needs. And then all of a sudden now I feel like I can breathe a little easier because I'm not panicking about not wanting to give him any freedoms. Exactly. Cause not giving a child freedom is also a type of trauma. So it's sort yes, of like you're damned yes. if you do, you know, either totally. way, but totally. what you said is so, and there's a great book by Dr. Peter Levine called trauma proofing your kids. And mm. it's really about that. It's your kids are going to get injured. You know, it might not be a huge emotional injury or some horrible type of thing. But even if that's the thing, if kids go through a bad experience and they have one, the research has shown you only need one conscious enough parent to at some basic level say, Hey kid, you're hurt. Can we get you into therapy? Can we get you some support? Can we get you into whatever it is you need? If you have, and you don't even have to do it perfectly. The research by and large says you just need to do it like good enough. Like, mm -hmm. can you do it good enough that when your kid gets injured, that you're there to tend to that injury? That's how you prevent PTSD. Mm, I love that. That's, oh, that's so important and so significant and doable. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and it, I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning he was like, mom, my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. And it goes back to when I look at injury in quotes here. So when my parents got divorced and there wasn't tending to the injury because there wasn't resources, there wasn't tools and everyone was doing the very best that they could. So I want to honor that. But there was just a lot of like, it didn't even really happen. It's all totally fine. We're good. (laughs) And so that was like the response. And when we look at this idea that let's look at processing a change or a shift processing an event. Let's look at some tools and resources. Those are just like little simple things that parents in the eighties didn't have. (laughs) So (laughs) nobody's fault, but they just didn't have them. And that we have now we have these things and that that, for me, that's really comforting. And by the way, I'm going to link the show in the show notes, the book that you just mentioned, trauma proofing your kids. But yeah, that's really comforting to know that like, oh, we do have resources and there are things that we can do that are going to be helpful and supportive. And that means even bad quote, you know, divorce is never ideal. Sometimes it's necessary and life-saving, but like whether it's a divorce or your parents are married and they move you out of your school Mm -hmm. to a new city, it's like- Both of those things, I'm not comparing the two, but both of those have the potential to be traumatic. You can go through a divorce without trauma if you have a parent who's walking you through the feelings. You can go through a move that's, you know, scary and hard and sad without the PTSD if you have an adult who's willing. So I tell people, I'm like, it's not divorce that messes up kids. It's not moves that mess up kids. It's just parents that don't want to deal with the reality of pain. And like you said, Mm -hmm. in the 80s, no shame, but nobody knew that. So it was like, you're fine. You're fine. You know, you're fine. Everything's fine. Nothing to see here, but it's not fine. And it's okay to not be fine. 
And you just said that parents that don't want to deal with the pain. Yeah. Because, and so you mentioned this earlier, like the necessity of sitting and suffering to process your grief and your trauma in order to get to that place of peace and joy. It's like doing that with your kids, which oh, it just makes like in a mama's heart, like your whole body wants to clench and be like, but no, I don't want to sit in the pain and the suffering. It's way easier to just be like, no, we're totally good. It's fine. Like, let's just go to Disneyland. <laughs> so yeah, that the importance of sitting in that and honoring feelings and processing and really being in it. Oh, it's so uncomfortable, but also like that is the path to healing and recovering. And then not having that's where, and I would love your professional response on this, but that's where I see that you don't end up with that dichotomy of internal dysfunction, external high function where mm-hmm. that we talked about at the beginning, where you have someone who's dissociating into high achievement on the outside while on the inside, they are like, can barely, you know, are dysfunctional in many ways and maybe functioning in some ways as a toddler in in their emotional state. No, I agree with you a thousand percent. And it's really hard as adults when we've trained ourselves out of our reality. It's a you know, and again, I'm not a parent. I don't have children, but I was trained as a play therapist. So I tell people who are parents, I'm not telling you how to parent. Heck if I know how to parent, but I'm fluent in how kids interpret the world because I don't have children. I could sit with kids for hours and hours and hours and just study. Like, how are you processing this? And kids are very natural at processing pain and trauma. If they have a competent, willing adult to walk them through it. Sort of like kids are, you know, like they can digest food more easy. I was able to digest more as a 10 year old than I did at 40. So (laughs) the whole, like, I don't want to, I want to spare my kid the pain. It's like, you don't have to worry about sparing your kid the pain because the effort to spare pain creates more pain. So, you know, let's just walk straight through it because the fastest way through this is directly. And that sucks, but it's true. Right. Well, and I want to honor your work as a professional without having the perspective of a parent, because I can tell you having been in both places. And we talked a little bit in our pre before we hit record how I worked in a psychiatric hospital with kids. And after I had my son, I was like, I got this, like I've done behavior management. I did it in a special ed classroom in a school. I did it in a lockdown hospital. I did it in a lockdown hospital school setting. Like I've done it. So I'm like behavior management, like I'm good. I had my child and I was like, well, hold on, wait, what, what? And we ended up doing play therapy at one point because there was things that like, I was so in it that I could not see how to break cycles. Well, they were dysfunctional. And I've talked about this on the show before we would get into certain cycles and I couldn't find a pattern interrupt where I was like, we keep ending up here every single day. And I can't figure out how to like interrupt this pattern that is so hard for my son and for me. And then we ended up in play therapy. And literally every time we would go the play therapist, because she had this outside objective view, she within like two minutes would be like, well, have you tried this one little thing? And it would be like this, it would sound like the most simple thing in the world. And I'd be like, well, obviously we haven't tried that because why would that work? And then we would try it one time and it would totally be like the key. And it was just often these little tiny things of having someone who's on the outside, who doesn't have their like mommy feelings and mommy heart invested in it, just being like, well, instead of doing it this way, why don't you try it that way? And like, try it three times and just see what happens. And every time I was like, wow. So apparently my like expertise in the psychiatric hospital is not, does, does nothing when it's like my own heart being invested in, in and That's true for anything. That's why I have a therapist. I may know what I know yeah. about trauma and the brain, but when I'm sitting 
as a client in front of my therapist, I forget everything I know because yeah. when we're in pain, all the things that we know sort of go out the window and our logic file gets locked down and we can't access it. Yeah. And that's why we, without shame, that's why I love what you do. Like no shame. If you're a parent and you need help, get some parenting help. If you have uh, anxiety or depression, get mental health help. It's like, if you need a coach, get a coach. Cause when you're in pain, all your logic is no longer accessible to you. If that's right. an option, if you have the resources and yeah. if you can do that. Why, or what is the number one thing that parents can do to help their children's mental health? Oh, I love that question so much. I wish somebody had asked, or I wish my parents had thought to (laughs) ask that question. The number one thing a parent can do for their child's mental health is take care of their own mental health. Mm. So like, if you only have resources for one person in your family, like if you're a single mom and you've got kids and one person gets to go, mom, you go because the best thing for a child's mental health is the mental health of the parent. So significant. We actually had on the show recently, someone talking about cybersecurity. And one of the questions that we were going to talk through that she like in advance, she's like, okay, let's talk through the number one thing that parents can do with support their kids in cybersecurity. So I was like all excited. I'm like, what's like the app going to be or what's like, what's going to be this like software answer. And she's like having the parents in therapy. (laughs) I was like, that's not where I thought we were going. (laughs) But I love that. Oh my gosh. Like the way the direction of the conversation went, I was like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. And it was so not where I, what I would have expected because it seemed like the answer didn't seem connected to the question. And then when she explained it, I was like, oh yeah, that makes so much sense because when we are doing our own work, the shift that happens in terms of what we see as possible, how we see ourselves as strong and capable, uh, how we understand emotions and processing and grieving and feelings and like all of these things greatly shift. I think our value shifts, how we show up in the world, how we take action, our thoughts, beliefs, and all that, but it also really shifts our values. And I think that that's to her point was like, that allows you to access values in a certain way when you're looking into cybersecurity. But in this case here, it's like, it gives us access to tools. It also gives us access to like mental health as a family value and like the protection of mental health as a family value. And then of course, coping skills and tools and all the things that like we need in our back pocket all the time all of the above and kids who are being modeled. It's one thing for a parent to say to a kid, it's okay for you to ask for help, but it's a whole nother ball game when the child sees the parent and it's normal that mom goes to therapy or dad goes to therapy or whatever. And then it becomes safe to talk about. Plus a parent who's doing their own work has more emotional capacity to hold space for a kid in pain. It's really, yeah. really hard. I worked with a, a guy and he was very avoidant, very high functioning, but very locked down. And when he was able to really act a painful issue from his childhood and his son was going through the same thing at the same age. It was like his heart cracked open. And Mm. now he's actually present for that kid because he's present for himself. And that's just how mental health works. It's like the more you do, the more you have, the more you have, the more you can give. Yeah, absolutely. We haven't talked about the science of stuck yet, but let's touch on this because when we don't do these things, when we're not addressing our mental health, when we're not processing when we're not like kind of looking at all this through this critical lens of where have we been? How are we functioning in light of that? And then what's the work we're doing to continue to move forward? That's when we get stuck. So can you just talk about the science of stuck and like totally brag about your book for a minute? (laughs) 
much. So I wrote it because I hear every day I'm stuck. I'm stuck with procrastination. I'm stuck with lack of motivation. I'm stuck. It doesn't have to be a severe mental illness thing. It can be, I'm stuck with anxiety. I'm stuck with the dating thing. I'm stuck with the parenting thing. Like whatever your thing is, it is not because you suck as a human. Like the book in short is there's a reason that you're stuck. It's not because you're lazy. It's not because you're unmotivated. It's because your brain does stuff. And when your brain does said stuff, you're going to feel what you feel. So if you know a little bit, just a little bit about how your brain works, sort of like driver's ed, like I'm not an auto mechanic. I don't know everything about my car. I know enough that I can drive. And this is the same thing. If you know just enough and I make it super easy, like I turn the neuroscience into cartoons because I get pissy if I have to read something technical and there's no reason for it to be technical. (laughs) It's like, here is just the bottom line. Like I love a good deep dive personally, but for the book, I just want it like here are just the bottom lines. Skip to, if you don't want to read, skip to the end of the chapter. There's 10 bullet point things and five minute exercises. I wanted to make something really, really practical for people who have a stack of self-help books that they're feeling ashamed that they haven't read yet. I'm like, here's sort of the Cliff's Notes guide to neuroscience and mental health and stress and all that good stuff. I love that. So who you kind of just gave some of this away, but who is the book for then? So it's the book is for people who have the stack of self-help books next to their bed (laughs) that they intend to read, but keep on not getting to who else. So I honestly, I wrote the book for my younger self because this is a book I really wish existed. Something that would sum up like someone to say, hey, look, I've read 30 books on anxiety and here's just the bottom lines. Here's Mm. all the stuff that I think is good on relationships, but here's just the bottom lines. And I wish I had somebody sit me down and make this stuff super digestible. And I didn't have that. So I'm hoping that it's helpful for people, but I actually wrote it for my younger self as sort of a my own personal therapy work, but it's for anyone who's stuck and doesn't know why. If you feel unmotivated, here's why. If you're procrastinating, here's why. If you feel lazy, here's why. If you feel like I'm stuck on on and my gas pedal is glued to the floor and I can't seem to stop, here's why. And here are some things you can do about it. Oh my gosh. I love this. I'm also feeling like this is an accidental parenting book. so much. Oh my God. I haven't heard that. Yes. You should put that in like the next edition that comes out. (laughs) My very favorite accidental parenting book, Sarah Dean, the shameless mom Academy. Oh my God. I love, I so need to steal that. That's fantastic. Everything you just said. I'm like, gosh, when we're talking to our kids in different ways, this is the stuff that like, if I'm talking to my child about anxiety, or if I'm talking to my child about something he's struggling with in a relationship or what, or he's feeling stuck around what, I mean, my God, last night, my child's in rock band camp this week. He is not a musician. This is for like people who kids who've never played instruments before. And so he's learning how to play uh, seven nation army by the white stripes on the guitar and the meltdown that we had last night. Cause he was so stuck on this one thing. And I'm trying, my husband and I are both like, and I can see, I can like step out from the situation and I can see that we are both like hovering over him, giving him way too much advice. And he can't process any of it because he's so upset, but we're trying really hard because we want to be good parents. <laughs> and so what we're doing in that moment is we're like, you just need to go slower. And you just need to keep trying. We're like, just like shooting out all these one-liners of advice and he can't take in any of it. And this morning I woke up and I was like, we did, that was too much. And at one point he did, like my husband and I left the room, my son was in there crying and I was going to go back in and like, say one more thing. And my husband was like, 
just let him be like, just let him process. Cause in my mind, I'm like, no, I have like one more really good sentence. It'll be like the thing that will get him out of this funk. And my husband was like, just let him process. And so we let him do that this morning was way better. He went back and practiced and it was much better. This, and we had talked about muscle memory last night. So this morning I was like, look, your muscle memory worked, but I'm thinking of when we're in those moments with our kids and we want to just be like, you're stuck on this thing. And let me just tell you like why this is happening or where this comes from and be able to give the cliff notes and not 18 paragraphs, which is what I like to do. I could go on and on about anything. And he doesn't want 18 paragraphs. He wants like two sentences and then mom shut up. So that's why this is an accidental parenting book. I love that. And whether it's in that situation with your kid or for you after a bad day, like the first step is the same for a 10 year old or a 50 year old. It's validate. The struggle is real. Mm. Like, wow, you're having a day. Like you're having a crappy day. Wow. It's really hard being you right now. Like I would much rather someone start with that before launching into, and here's what's happening, but step, like, if you're listening to this, it's for your kids, for yourself, like step one, whatever you're struggling with, just validate. Even if you don't know why it's happening, you're having a day, like you're mad, you're sad, you're stressed, you're frustrated. Let's start there. Cause that yeah. will inherently calm yourself down or your kiddo down. And then all that beautiful parenting stuff that I don't know anything about, you can intervene at that point. <laughs> so good. So good. <laughs> Love it. Okay. So how are you currently showing up shamelessly, Britt? Oh, okay. So in the book, I tell all my stories that I've held pretty much on lockdown behind closed doors for the last 10 years. Like I smoked meth and I went to Duke and like, I did really bad things in my addiction and weird stuff. And, you know, I was in a domestic violent relationship, plural S and that I am decidedly not shamed about anymore. Mm, Oh my gosh. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that here. And that only makes me want to read the book more. (laughs) (laughs) It's in there. My clients are like, wow, you really were a mess. I'm like, yes. I mean, like when you put meth and Duke in the same sentence, everyone wants to like, everyone needs to read that chapter. (laughs) So chapter four. (laughs) Okay. Chapter four. Got it. Thank you so much for this conversation and for all the things. I feel like we've just done a lot of normalizing of a lot of things that happen to everyone in different ways on different spectrums and scales, but there's this like normalization of experiencing trauma and then hope around you can process this and PTSD is preventable. And you can also like, let's assume your children will experience trauma and also you can help them process and you can help them prevent PTSD. So I think this conversation is just such a big gift in in that way that we've done a lot of normalizing, but also given people some tools and some, and definitely some hope and power when it comes to mental health. So can you tell people where they can find you? Where can they get your book, the science of stuck? Where can they connect with you online and all that good stuff? So I have poor boundaries on Instagram. Come find me. I'll be on there and say, (laughs) hi, it's just at Brit Frank and Brit has two T's. Uh, My website is scienceofstuck.com and you can buy the book wherever books are sold. Love it. Love it. Okay. And I'm putting in here, scienceofstuck.com. And then we will link that all up in the show notes. So if people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Britt Frank, they can find, you'll be able to find all the links that we just mentioned. You can click right through. I will link up Britt's book, the science of stuck. I'll link up her website. I'll also link up the book, uh, trauma proofing your kids. And then of course your Instagram. I love that you like invite stalkers. Cause I invite stalkers too. Like, come stalk me, DM me. I will absolutely reply. Cause I love a DM, uh-huh. which people like think I'm lying when I say that. And I'm not. <laughs> no, I love my Insta friends. Like those counts. Totally. Yes. They totally count. All right. Thank you so much for being here, Britt. When you write the next book, you have to come back. 
thank you so much. The accidental parenting book. I love it. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you, Brett. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.